I saw your be good baker running by again the other day, says I to old Mr. Brennan. Ah, yes, says he. I've never seen her stand still. And she's running rings around the rest of us with our Brennan's be good bread. Only 60 calories a slice. 60 calories, says I. That's just a whole meal, is it? No, says he. It's the whole meal, the whole grain, and the waste. 60 calories a slice and high in fiber, whatever way it slices. That's why anything baked is better with Brennan's. Today's bread today. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. This is an Irish Independent podcast. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, in association with Square. Square helps you look after your business needs from payments to menu management and online ordering. Visit square.com for more. Today we're going to talk about the topic that is affecting the tech industry here in Ireland and around the world. And I'm delighted to be joined by Jonathan Bellack, who for 15 years was a senior leader at Google working in advertising and the company's online safety technology. Along with 12,000 others last month, Jonathan was laid off. Jonathan, you say on your website and on Twitter that you knew this was coming and that you had your own circumstances as well around this. Yes, I had decided already to leave Google and had actually spoken with my manager about this in late November. I remember when very distinctly because it was halftime of the Wales-USA World Cup match. Um, which was pretty memorable. Uh, And so I had already reached a conclusion that I was ready for a different phase of my career. Um, I can't say that I knew exactly what was going to happen, but given the prevalence of layoffs across the technology industry and the sort of response I started getting from my manager, it wasn't too hard to connect the dots and have a feeling that something was going to happen. Now, Jonathan, many of our listeners and viewers who don't work in tech are trying to come to terms with what they see as a new phenomenon in the workplace, which is the idea of this all happening remotely, digitally, via email, uh, via Slack. Obviously, you have a more nuanced uh, story than many others, but... What does it feel like to receive that news over email? Is there anything different about it? Um, There's probably always the element of surprise because people who are going to be laid off don't know. There's that emotional shock is going to be the same. I think the difference when it's completely remote and you're in a remote workplace is you're alone when it happens. And because I would suspect for security purposes, things get locked down pretty quickly. You can't exactly walk down the hall to your coworkers and say, what the heck is just going on? There's a great movie about the financial crisis called Margin Call that opens with layoffs. And people can see the people getting called up from their desks and walking out with boxes. None of that happens. You just kind of blink out of existence in the matrix like you were unplugged. Again, just to come back to this idea of the, the new normal in terms of working, 
What was it that happened that day? Was it that you you, you woke up and, and just checked your email? What actually happened that day? Yeah, so my situation, again, was a bit unusual because I woke up absurdly early at 5 a.m. that morning. So I sort of got to watch it happen live while as I was groggily looking at my phone, I saw an email to me sort of saying, we're sorry, there isn't a role for you. Here are your next steps. I saw the email from Sundar, the CEO, to all of Google announcing that layoffs were happening. And then my email access was cut off. And over the course of the day, different systems were just shutting down. Like I had work accounts on my phone that were remotely deleted and so forth. I think for most of the people impacted, this happened while they were asleep. So they woke up and already had in their personal email this message that their position was impacted. And when they tried to log into their corporate account, they basically just got a login error that they couldn't connect. Yeah. And I mean, because you tweeted that, you know, the abruptness of the layoffs, and this could apply to any company in the current wave, it meant that you couldn't say proper goodbyes, for example. Yeah. And I think that's got to be a difficult challenge for these companies where you're trying to figure out the most humane thing you can do. But in a world in which all of the intellectual property and secrets and so on are on everyone's computers or tied to their login, it's got to be this problem of if you leave everything on, you know, what bad things could happen. And I have to ask, how do you think they felt? You, you can't get inside their heads. But how do you think they felt about this? Um... Shocked is, I would say, a common theme of the people I've talked to um, because people were waking up that day expecting to go to work and do their jobs. Um, and so there is that sort of wrenching moment of discovering that things are moving in a different direction. Uh, again, I, I have to try to keep a balanced view because I've never been the executive of a 185,000 person company doing a 6% layoff. So it would be beyond me to claim that I had any idea how to do this any better. Mm, yeah. And since then, have you been able to speak to any of your colleagues? Have you been able to say your goodbyes? Yeah, very much so. And that's been really fortunate as I had a lot of great relationships with people on the team. And that first day and the days after that were full of people reaching out to me. I wanted to explain what was going on to some folks since mine was pretty intentional, but I didn't have the normal opportunity to kind of say goodbye to everybody. So um, it was nice to be able to reconnect in that way. Hmm. Now, as I said, you have um, a very interesting career. You have set yourself up. Anybody who wants to go and see what you're doing can go to belloc.com um, and see for themselves. Um, a lot of people are in a different position. Um, do you think it's a good or a bad time at the moment to be out there looking for a job in the tech sector? Um, I think it's hard to generalize, but what it does is a change in environment like this probably changes who's going to be successful and who's not. It's almost like an evolution when the environment shifts. Animals, you know, adapt differently. And I don't want to compare people to that. That sounds horrible on a podcast. So um, I apologize. No, no, for no. That. Yeah. But I do think it's the challenge of people who are 
excited and ambitious, there's still a lot of great stuff happening in technology. There are still a ton of hiring. The finance space is still hiring. Everything going on with the artificial intelligence and ChatGPT and Google's response and Microsoft integrating it into Bing. There's a lot going on there. I do think it's hard when the investment you make in relationships in a company all sort of go away and you don't have that to draw on. That was my decision to leave. The hardest part by far was saying, well, I put 15 years into this company. Why would I not continue to strive and climb? And it took a while to sort of process that. And for all of the people laid off, they're going through it instantly. Mm. What's next for you now, Jonathan? Uh, finding ways to help. Really what I learned in my career near the end of the Google phase, what I love most are helping product-led organizations kind of figure things out, whether somebody's hiring a product manager, growing a team, solving a problem. I've had a lot of great conversations both in the U.S. and in Europe uh, with really interesting people, with businesses that are growing and might be able to use some advice or might be able to think I could be helpful. And you know, I'm hoping I can spend the next decade or however long I've got just being useful to people. And if anyone wants to find out more about what Jonathan's doing or what his current role is, you can find him on Twitter or you can go to bellack.com, B-E-L-L-A-C-K.com. Jonathan, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Adrian. It was great to talk. And my thanks to Jonathan for joining me there. Now, um, I'm joined now by Peter Cosgrove, MD of FutureWise and a Future of Work expert and Owen Reedy, General Secretary of the Irish Congress of Trade Unions. Peter, being fired by email, is this really what we should expect as the new normal? Yeah, I think from the large, larger, larger companies, they may continue to do this for a couple of reasons. One, reality is it's a lot simpler to do. Um, they're quite worried about some of the uh, kind of legal issues. And the reality is a lot of their middle managers don't handle this with a consistency that one email will do. So I'm not saying it's a nice thing for a lot of people, but actually you can actually see that everybody gets it the same day. Everybody knows straight away, am I in or am I out? Uh, you not have that long waiting period, but I think it's primarily from their point of view, it doesn't look great from a brand point of view, but it happens overnight. You move on and then everybody's in the same situation. Yeah, it's a fair point, I suppose, Owen, isn't it? I mean, in the States, a lot of the layoffs that we've seen, those workers have moved on. Their Irish operations here, in some cases, they're waiting 30 days. They don't know whether they're going to be laid off. It's difficult to plan. There's stress. There's tension. Um, is it a slightly more humane way of doing it or is it slightly horrifying? I think either way, Adrian, being made redundant is a very stressful thing for many people. I think for some people, the, the, the mode of communication is not an issue. For other people, it is. But you mentioned something there about how they do it in the States and how we do it here. That 30-day consultation period is very important. In the trade unionized sector, we use that 30 days to look at alternatives, to look at restructuring productivity. Is there a way we can minimize job losses? Are there alternatives to save money? And in many instances, we come out with a much better arrangement. In the tech sector? No, in the tech sector. I'm talking about in the, in the traditional trade union organized sector. I think what you're seeing in the tech sector is upwardly mobile professionals who felt empowered in their work, feeling a sense of helplessness and frustration with the cuts that we're seeing now and with the job losses. And I think that is why this is resonating with many people. When P&O Ferries did this last year, everyone was horrified, quite rightly so, traditional trade union sector, transport, shipping. When Twitter did it, I think Twitter felt they'd get away with it, that people would think this is fine. So 
you know, culture is culture, whether you're a modern tech company or whether you're a small Irish indigenous company. And it's very important how you treat people and that you treat them with respect, whoever yeah. you are. Because there's always been this contract, hasn't there, that if you're working for a big tech company, there are lots of jobs. You can walk into another job. That has been the narrative. So there hasn't been as much stress if something happened. But we haven't seen a wave of layoffs like this for many years. No, we haven't. And the labour market's still very tight. But in this sector, we're obviously seeing a downturn. So it's it's a new dispensation, a new departure. Uh, but I do think these companies need to realise that they have to see their staff as a very important resource, treat them with respect and treat them the right way, whether it's by email or whether it's by a, a group meeting. But that 30-day process is very important because even in a non-unionised company, workers have a right to elect their spokespersons, to look at alternatives. Quite frankly, I think a lot of the non-unionised tech companies just go through the 30 well, days. Well, we'll, we'll come on to that in a minute. And Peter, is there something about these tech companies doing these layoffs, that jars a little bit. I'm so used to uh, thinking of Google and Twitter and Amazon as these big tech companies who want to make life better for their employees. They have bean bags, they've got pool, pool tables, they've got better water than we have. And they're letting people go kind of in a heartless way in the sense that it's just cold. They're now the talent. They're not people anymore, they're talent. And the flip side to not being a person and to being talent is maybe you're just another factor of production. Yeah, I think there's a huge thing that a lot of these tech companies, whether they, they like to believe it or not, people almost enter a cult status in there. There's almost like, I'm now a Googler or I'm an Amazonian or they give themselves names. Someone was in, uh, in Spotify recently and the first email was welcome to the band. So they have this whole bring you in and the amount of stuff you see on platforms like LinkedIn, oh my God, this is the best job I've ever got and hashtag pottery day and all this sort of stuff. But the challenge with that is if you're going to tell everybody how amazing you are and then suddenly you're just laid off by email, I've never seen more emails on LinkedIn or in these places where people are so upset with how they've been laid off. And actually, the challenge with these people is they don't realize it's a PLC. You know, they're only focusing on the shareholders. We've all felt this if we've ever been in this situation before. You think, I've worked really hard for this company. You know, but you're, you don't really matter when they're laying off 6% of their workforce. It's nothing to do with you. It's are you the wrong demographic in the wrong location at the wrong salary level but that's very hard for people but I think in these large companies that's the way it's going to go because someone else said to me that a lot of the CEOs going I, I mean I, I, I'm the first one to say I've made a mistake and they're going hey we don't want you to say you've made a mistake we know you've made a mistake you know you're not doing anything but laying us off you haven't taken a drop in salary you've done nothing so I think there's a lot of false humility out there as well so it's interesting how this kind of link they had and I just think the last thing I'll say is the brand some of these companies have like interestingly Salesforce don't big themselves but it's a big brand and they didn't get much flack for their uh, layoffs. So I actually think it almost differs in terms of the type of tech company you are. Yeah, it's, it's almost a boilerplate now, isn't there, for a Absolutely. CEO to say, we overhired during the pandemic. This is my fault, they will say, while winking yeah. uh, at the investors. And, and, and they're almost seeing the exact same, as you said, same emails from different companies. They're just borrowing yeah. the same one because it's gone through four lawyers and they know this will work. And yet the point I put to Owen about the flip side of that, the very fact that it is so impersonal may mean that you don't take it personally. Maybe you can rationalize it and think to yourself, I'm just one of a wave of 10% uh, or 12%. There's no George Clooney from up in the air telling you, you know, charming you with, you know, snake oil that this is just the beginning, it's not the end. You, at least you have this sense of 
you yeah. know, this yeah. is happening. And and back to my point about managers, a lot of managers really find this uncomfortable. This idea of sitting in front of somebody and saying your job is made redundant and they, they have to read through a script. Some of them can't help themselves going, look, you'll be fine. You know, maybe we'll do something. Even though they've no authority and there's no chance this person's going to be kept on, it's often human nature for certain people that they feel they'll say something else and then that can get them into trouble. So bizarrely, humanity is not your friend often in this situation, but following the script seems really, really cold. Oh, and what's happening with unionization here? I have over the years written many articles and spoken to many people about the seeming incongruity in Ireland, which is no, has always historically been a country with, with fairly strong unions. All of a sudden you have this sector, which now pays most of our bills, if you look at the corporate tax receipts, and it's almost completely, almost completely uh, non-unionized. Is that a failure of the union sector, really, to get involved here, um, or have they just written it off? No, we certainly haven't written it off, and uh, to some degree it is, Adrian, of course. I mean, I think when people are interested in get, getting involved collectively, whether it's a union or whatever, I think it's crucial that the organisation reflects what the people want rather than the other way around. So we have to evolve and, and modernise and make ourselves fit for purpose. Um, but I think it's it's interesting. There's a couple of things happening. First of all, the European Union have brought in this new directive that will make collective bargaining, unions negotiating with employers more easy. More easy. Ireland is one of the outliers where it's very, very hard to form a union. It's very, very hard to win what's called recognition from your employer. But we also know that when we look at the future of work, when you look at uh, 18 to 34 year olds, a piece of work done by uh, UCD academics recently, Union Voice in Ireland, they found that 52% of 18, 16 to 34-year-olds not in a union wanted to join. When you went 16 to 24-year-olds, it was 65%. They're the two age cohorts where we have the uh, the, the lowest uh, density and the lowest membership. So I think it's, it's there's two things. One, for young workers across the spectrum, across the board, including tech, our values mean something to them. They can relate to them, but we have to be fit for purpose and we have to be better to reflect what it is they want. We are seeing some unions like FSU, CWU, uh, and indeed SIP2 have pockets of membership in this sector, but it's 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 early days when it comes to unionization. So let's say a group of workers from Google, uh, Meta, Amazon, whoever it is, come to you and say they want to organize. Do you think that would be an easy or a hard thing to fight their fight? I think it'd be a, it's a real challenge because in Ireland, unlike most other countries, in many ways, unionization is at the gift of the employer. As the law currently stands today, even if 90% of the workers in one of those companies you mentioned in Ireland decided to join the union, you use either the power of persuasion or the persuasion of power to force the employer to the table. That's no way to run our industrial relations but what, in the 21st century. We, why are we like that? I mean, this is the country of Jim Larkin and, and, and all of that. Why, is it just that we've become kind of craven, that we're grateful to all these big companies for coming in yeah, and employing well, us, I, taking us out of poverty? You, you say it's the country of Jim Larkin. I mean, we're the country of a lot of heroic defeats that we celebrate. I'd rather we'd look at heroic victories. And there are a few, but we're usually moving on to the next crisis. No, I think people do want to get involved. I mean, a lot of people People have said, I would like to join the union if my employer was neutral. I think employers are starting to change. I mean, you hear the CEO of IBEC, uh, which represents 70% of private sector firms, talking about a stakeholder economy rather than a shareholder economy. I think you're seeing in Europe the move towards, particularly post-pandemic, because I think Europe realized for the center to hold, 
unions, employers and government need to try and work together. So I do think we're going to see see a change. But, you know, we represent about one in four of every worker working in Ireland, despite the fact that the legislation and the environment we worked in is quite hostile. That's not too bad. I think things will get better, given that younger workers in particular want unionization. But we can't expect them just to, to come and fall in our lap. We have to modernize. We have to reflect what it is they want. And we have to, I think, look more like them to attract them. Peter, Owen is talking about young people and what they might expect and what they might want. If I'm getting a job in a big tech company or increasingly one of the adjacent sectors, what should I be expecting now over the next five to 10 years? How should I expect to be treated and possibly terminated if, if the case if, if case comes about? Is this just the new normal, uh, which I asked you before? Yeah, I, it, it, it is probably more, uh, I think the number one thing if you're young is to realize, uh, get the most out of your employer, <laughs> uh, but don't expect your employer to just be there for you when times are tough. When to, like all these people from Google are kind of forgetting about all the skills they learned, all the great times they had, all the great salaries you got you can't get everything right so you're always going to be trading one off or another I would say to most people the bigger thing I'd say to most people if you're 14 to or it's like 18 to 25 go to work as many days as you can because what people are forgetting in this whole new world of work and remote working is in the first five to ten years of your job the amount you learn from the person beside you or listening into another conversation that you will never learn at home and you do you are not time poor you have all this time okay but can I put it to you that's a perfect uh, era Uh, to debate that point because we've just come out of a pandemic. We're still emerging from it. Remote working has become a semi-permanent thing for very many people. How do you kind of square that? Well, I think um, most people who, if if you think about most companies who surveyed people after pandemic, how many days you want to come back? Most people said none because you're surveying them and they're all sitting at home. If you'd done it four years ago, most people would have said, I'll take a day at home. So I think that's the first thing. We've got a comfort level working from home. But the bigger issue is people don't see the long-term career benefits of relationship management networking. You know, productivity is how many tasks did I get done today? If you go to a networking conference today, you can't tick any productivity box, but you've probably built 10 relationships, someone you can call on in five years' time. So the problem with people have the mentoring, the leadership, the listening in another person negotiating a deal. None of that ticks a box today. But all that stuff is critical. And as I said, you've so much time. The, 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 the more kind of nefarious thing is go into work because people see you because that still matters in the world of when people are making people redundant in smaller companies, maybe, when they're deciding between Peter and Owen. Well, Owen's a Manchester United fan, so am I. And he's in work every day and we're chatting about it. Peter, I don't even know if he sports football. Off he goes. And that sounds terrible, but those little things still happen. I can assure you that decisions have been made uh, along those lines uh, before. Uh, I'd like to thank both of you, Peter Cosgrave from FutureWise, uh, Owen Reedy, General Secretary of the IC, to you for coming in. And that's all we have time for this week. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thanks also to Tabitha Monaghan, who produced today, to Conan Doherty on uh, video, and to Gav Hennessy on sound. And for me, Adrian Weckler, this has been the Big Tech Show in association with Square. And I'll talk to you the same time next week. Bye-bye. I saw your Be Good Baker running by again the other day, says I to old Mr. Brennan. Ah, yes, says he. I've never seen her stand still. And she's running rings around the rest of us with our Brennan's Be Good Bread. Only 60 calories a slice. 60 calories, says I. That's just a whole meal, is it? No, says he. It's the whole meal, the whole grain and the waste. 60 calories a slice and high in fibre, whatever way you slice it. That's why anything baked is better with Brennan's. Today's bread today.